Amen, and good morning. We are uh, in the middle of a series now on uh, marriage. Marriage matters. It does matter. In fact, I want to talk a little bit this morning about how uh, marriage is, for those of us who are married, at the very center of our Christian lives. Because it's at the very center of our lives. It's a central relationship of our life. It is a home out of which we live the Christian life, quite literally. And so at the center of the Christian life is marriage. And at the center of both our marriage and Christian life is the need for the power of the Holy Spirit to live it. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Verses 15 to 21. And just note that 15 to 21 is the section that leads into the whole section on marriage. The Bible, you know, addresses marriage in some different places. You know, you know, a verse here and there, a couple of verses here and there. This is the most significant treatment of marriage. The longest passage addressing husbands and wives, uh, I'm pretty sure, in the scripture. And what we're going to do is look at the verses that precede it. Hear then the word of God. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so wives and husbands, pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. And we come this morning that it may not only instruct our minds, but capture and transform our hearts. And so, Father, come with power into our lives and into our marriages, into our homes, with the truth and power of your spirit and your word, that we may be conformed to it, like unto Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So what does your home smell like? And no, I don't mean dirty socks or diapers or the latest oil in your diffuser. Um, But I mean 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul says, thanks be to God, who in Christ is always leading us in a triumphal procession. And so through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ. And so it's, I think, a question for us to ask ourselves and our spouses, does the fragrance of our knowing Christ permeate our homes and our marriages? Individually and together, does the aroma of Christ and the fact that we serve him and honor him make itself apparent and manifest in our homes and the flavor that our homes and our marriages give off? 
Could someone look at the way that you are being a husband and see and know that you're a follower of Christ? Could someone look at the way that you are being a wife and recognize a follower of Jesus in the way that we do it, in the way that we are married, because our marriages are a picture of the covenant love of Christ, of his love for his church, his bride. And so our marriages become a picture and a mirror of that relationship. And so the first place that should give off the aroma of Christ is our homes and our marriages. It is a very picture and a mirror of the presence of Christ in his love for his people. Our marriages stand at the center of our Christian life. And that's exactly where Paul puts it as we read the book of Ephesians. And so I want us to look at the big picture. Bear with me for a minute. I want to put this text, 15 to 21, our text this morning, in the context of the book of Ephesians and the way it flows into the whole passage that is on marriage that we look at so often. Uh, But we need to see the bigger picture. Most of you know that Ephesians is six chapters long, and that the first three are, uh, are entirely theological, doctrinal. The first three chapters of Ephesians, there's not one command. It is all about the predestining, redeeming, gracious love of God who saves us and makes of us a one new people in, in this work that God does in instilling us with his love and his character. And so chapters one to three is entirely theological, and then chapters four to six are almost entirely practical, which is, is the outworking of the theology. In chapter four, verse one, because one to three is where we see all of this, in chapter four, it starts out with, therefore... Right? I, therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a certain way. I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. And so this is where he goes in chapters 4 to 6. And our text is literally right in the middle of that section of the therefore, because of all that he has done and all that he is and all then that he is calling us to. Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy In chapter 5, he starts out, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice. And so when we get to our verses in 15, he says, Look carefully then, and the word then there is the same word being translated as therefore. Therefore, look carefully, therefore, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And it goes on to say in verse 17, therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. And so in 18 to 21, and if you've never noticed it before, um, 18 to 21 is one sentence. So he says, you know, to walk not as foolish, but as wise, understand what the Lord's will is. And in 18 to 21 is one long sentence, I think, telling us what the Lord's will is. And the Lord's will is, in the center of it, is going to be a statement about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. One long sentence telling us and introducing verse 22. Right? We know that these little section markings in mine, I'm in the ESV, and right above verse 22 it says wives and husbands, are a little gap between 21 and 22 and a little title there. And you understand none of that is in the Greek. In the Greek, there's no gap and there are no titles, and that flows. Verse 18 to 21, one long sentence ending with submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, 
submit to your husbands. In fact, in some of the Greek manuscripts, uh, the word submit is not in verse 22. It actually says submitting to one another out of reverence for, qua, uh, out of, out of reverence for Christ, wives unto your own husbands. And then it goes on, assuming the v- verb from the verse before it in 21, binding them together, that this passage, the whole binds together. And so we don't want to miss the connection between the whole Christian life and its application in our marriages. Because four to six is he applies that great theology. And he's applying it and calling us then to this very practical outworking of the Christian life. And the very center of that is our marriages in our homes where he applies it. And we see that this connection, this outworking of the bigger picture in our marriages, look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 again. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering. You recognize that language? Right? That's the language applied to husbands in the next section in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. I think it's 25. 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So he just told all of us to walk in love and to love each other as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. It's something we are all to do. It is, it's the Christian life. It's being imitators of God. It's being like Jesus, to love one another as Christ has loved us. And then husbands, love your wives. And it's applied you know, in a, in, a, in a specific, in a unique way into the husband's calling, just as a submission in verse 21, which is a submission one to another, out of reverence for Christ, a, a toward each other humility that is out of reverence for Christ. And so wives also to your own husbands, live it out at home, wives to your husbands and husbands to your wives. But it's part of this whole picture of living out the Christian life and starting at home. And the danger, though, is to over-isolate the passage on marriage, which we often do. We usually don't read 21. We just start at 22 and read the marriage passage. And not only do we not read 21, but if we do, we don't recognize it's the last phrase of a very long sentence. Right? That goes back to verse 18 to get the whole sentence as a lead-in to Wives unto your very own husbands. So we don't want to over-isolate it and magnify that passage in in the danger of distorting it out of context because it is actually the culmination of a teaching about, as he says in 4.1, of walking worthy, in 5.2, of walking in love, and in verse 15, of walking wisely and not as unwise. All of our walking, which he says ultimately is to be in the fullness of the Spirit. And so all of Paul's teaching in chapters four through six applies to our marriage, because I think six applies too, right? And putting on the whole armor of God, right? How can you live any of the Christian life without the full armor of God? You know, protecting heart and mind and, and calling us to that, to that life, and it starts at home. And so in other words, when Paul starts naming relationships, he gives this teaching to walk in love and to walk wisely and to walk in the spirit and then he says and he applies it first and foremost in your marriages wives and husbands parents and children employees and employers masters and slaves and he goes on and he's applying it down through those relationships and marriages is the first and at the center 
So verse 21 tells us we're to be humbly oriented toward each other in the fear of Christ so that our relationship, if we are humbled, if the husband and wife are, are humbly submitting to one another, being governed, he says, out of our fear, the word there is literally phobos in the Greek, it's the fear of Christ, the awe of Christ, the reverence for Christ governs the way we're postured toward each other as we start talking about anything about marriage. And notice the last thing that he says before applying all of this practical teaching to our marriages. In the middle of verse 18 to 21, don't get drunk on wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you see that 18 is one sentence, the main verb in the sentence is there in 18, it's to be filled with the Spirit. And then you see that each verse following, the rest of the sentence has subordinate verbs with the I-N-G on the end, right? Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual, giving thanks always unto the Father, submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ, wives unto your own husbands, husbands loving your own wives. But you see, to be filled with your Spirit is the main verb in the sentence and the way that it looks. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Paul doesn't leave us wondering. It looks like Hearts that are addressing one another as before the Lord in hearts of worship, songs and hymns and spiritual songs unto the Lord who are giving thanks always in everything, submitting to one another, right? That's the essence of the, a life of fullness in the Holy Spirit as it were. It's a life of a heart of worship, a heart of thanksgiving, giving thanks in, in everything and it's a life of submitting uh, 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 to one another, which is in a way descriptive of loving one another out of reverence for Christ. Because to love is to think of the other first, to give to the other first, to serve the other first. So submitting one to another is nothing but at the very heart of love. And so it is this command to be filled with the Spirit, definitely a general command for the whole of Christian life at the heart of chapters 4 to 6 and all that he's calling us to do and at the heart of it he calls us to be filled with the Spirit. But the first relationship where Paul describes his fullness is our marriages, right? Our homes. And so this is it. If you want to write down a sentence or get it, this is where you want to be where I'm going to say it like four more times. So here it is. You personally and both of you together need to seek and rely on the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit every day. Right? At the heart of a marriage. We don't always think about it in terms of marriage. We think about it and then we go live it out there or whatever. And somehow, some way, we miss the fact that the very first place where I should be seeking the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, both personally and together in our home, that we need to seek it in the center of our marriages, the presence and power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because in any given moment in our spirit, in, in our marriages, we need to walk wisely and not be foolish. And we need to walk in love and we need to walk worthy of the Lord. And we need to understand what the Lord's will in our marriages and in our homes first and foremost. And we can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit. And so let's talk about being filled with the Spirit that commanding verb in verse 18 says being filled with the Spirit is in the present imperative. Imperative means it's a command. And when you get the command in the Greek in the present, it means an ongoing action. It means it's something that you're not to do once and done, be filled with the Spirit, been there, done that. 
right? But he is saying, be filled with the Spirit in the present imperative means to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit all the time, every day, as an ongoing reality. That it's, that it's something that should be real and true all the, all the time with us. John Stott says, fullness is a continuous blessing to be continuously and increasingly appropriated. Galatians 5.25, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, if you are born again by the Spirit, if you have spiritual life by the Spirit, if you live by the Spirit, he says, let us also walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit is to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Our lives... (laughs) living our lives by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Hearts full of what? When he's talking about what does it look like? And you think of the heart that is full of the Spirit, and you take those subordinate verbs, and you start thinking that way, right? Addressing or giving, you know, pouring out our praise in hymns and songs and spiritual songs to the Lord with your heart, but also together, right? That's in the passage that, that if we are a people filled by the Holy Spirit, that, that marking it is going to be the kind of worship that we were just engaged in, but not just on Sunday morning for an hour, but, but hearts that are marked by a worship of God. And an overporting of that as we address, in a sense, one another, this worship of the heart. Hearts full of God-centered worship, of thankfulness in everything, right? In everything, for in, in all of our lives, as we walk day by day, what marks you part of the fullness is that you know that you live it before God. You live it in the presence and power of His Spirit. We know that we, that we walk with Him, and so we are thankful in everything. He, we, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. We're never outside of His presence. There's nowhere we, we go. We know He is Lord, and we know He is sovereign, and we give thanks in everything. So we're, we have a heart that is in worship toward him and together in his giving thanks in all things, in his humble, Christ-honoring submission to one another. And that's a hard one, but right there at the center of what it means to be full of the Spirit of God is us submitting to one another in, in all different kinds of ways as we love one another, as we serve one another, and as our marriages and our lives and the church life is marked by us submitting to one another. And it's one of those things, as we do it, that takes the previous phrase, right? Giving thanks unto the Father in all things, even as we submit unto one another as a joyful, worshipful thing that we do, because it's who we are as the people of God. In the fullness of His Spirit, that's what 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul would say, if you were like, you know, this seems like an exceptional thing, Paul says, don't you know? He would want us to have the full knowledge, and sometimes we forget, you know, and so he has to address and says, don't you understand? Don't... Don't you get it? You are God's temple. And God's spirit dwells in you. And at the heart of the Christian life is walking by that spirit in the fullness of that spirit in all that it marks us and makes us. The reality of the indwelling spirit of Christ is central reality of the entire Christian life. If we don't understand that, we have not understood the Christian life. Don't you know that you are God's temple and his spirit lives in you? You're to walk by that spirit. You're to be full of that spirit. That is the central reality 
for the believer. So the life that God intends for us, including our marriage, is only possible through the fullness of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. What am I saying? The secret of the Christian marriage is this. What is it makes your marriage distinctly Christian? And it ought to be this. That you personally, and the two of you together, are seeking and relying upon the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to walk worthy and wisely and in love with one another in that central core relationship of life. Right? What makes it markedly Christian is that you personally and you together are seeking and relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit to be and to do anything that he calls us to do in chapters 4 and 6 and to do it at home. But you can't do it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the biggest mistakes that Christians make is trying to live the Christian life and to be like Jesus apart from Jesus. And you can't do it apart from Jesus, but only by the presence and power of his spirit who is in us. The fullness of his spirit is to experience the presence and power of Jesus in the life of his people on a daily experience of knowing him and loving him and walking with him and living out of that life. And he contrasts the fullness of the spirit with drunkenness. Now, I believe the Bible allows and even affirms moderate drinking, but it consistently condemns Drunkenness. He tells us why. He says it leads to debauchery. Right? Debauchery is a hard word. It's not one you use. When's the last time you used debauchery in a sentence? Right? So, I mean, it's a hard word. That's not even a word we really even use in English. And it's a hard word to translate. It's this idea of dissipation, of a dissipated lifestyle, of, of giving oneself over uh, to something, to allowing ourselves um, abandoning ourselves to reckless or immoral behavior, right? So that it gives over to debauchery, a, a, an allowing or giving over to immoral, reckless behavior. So when we come under the influence, he's saying, of, of alcohol to the extent that we're drunk, he says it changes us, it changes how we feel, it changes what we think and what we say and what we do. That's why when people get drunk, they say stupid things, mean things, hard things, things they regret, things they don't remember. They do things. You know, that the drunkenness, you're under the influence of something else, so you think and say and feel things that you are no longer self-controlled, but under the influence of something else, the spirits. You know what they call the alcohol spirits. You're under something other than the Holy Spirit. And you never want to be under the control of anything rather than the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying rather, and this is so a picture that he's just giving as a contrast, how you can be under the influence of alcohol and do things in ways. And he says, but don't, don't do that. That leads to everything that is not pleasing to God. Rather, come under the influence, be filled with the Holy Spirit so that he changes what we feel and what we think and what we say and what we do. And that he actually brings us then and brings the fruit of the Spirit into our lives and out of our lives. When we're under the influence of the Spirit, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. We walk in love and submission and worship. 
And we hear sometimes as we apply this in our marriages and even thinking about the fullness of the Spirit, and sometimes you'll read the next sentence, and I hear, I've heard, you know, different times where I'll say, well, I'm not ever going to submit to my, I'll never submit to that man, or I'll never go that way. And there's some of them who read that, they find it a hard saying, and say, I'm never going to do it, but they don't realize what they're saying is I'm never going to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. You know, her husband, where it says to love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her, and, he, and so we give up ourselves, and what it means to lead is to love the greatest among you is a servant, and so a husband who loves his church as Christ loves us, and he has served our needs and loved us, and I hear a husband to say, but I don't want to give up my stuff, and, you know, I'm not giving that up, and I'm not letting that, you know, and all this. He said, basically, I'm saying, I don't want to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one who directs these things. 18 to 21 is one long sentence describing the fullness of the Spirit as an internal transformation that results in worship, thankfulness, and submission to one another under the governance and the reverence of Christ. The mutual submission and the awe of Christ should be manifested in our homes above all. And so he commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Right? It's a command. What said it's a present imperative. Right? It is imperative that you do this. Right? I command you to do this. But everybody who reads that sentence comes out with the same tension, which is how can I be commanded to be filled with the Spirit when the Spirit is the Lord God? Right? He's the Lord of me. I'm not the Lord of him. Right? I don't tell him what to do. He tells me what to do. That's the relationship. So how am I to be filled with God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, in such a way that the Christian life and the Christian character and Christian attitudes are being manifested in me and so in my marriage? How can we be filled now, let me just suggest to you kind of quickly as, as we think about that, because that's maybe another sermon for another day. I'm thinking about doing a series on the, ser- of the Holy Spirit in the weeks leading up to Christmas. So we may come back to that. But I'll say this. He, he puts it, I always find it interesting, he does put it in contrast to drunkenness, I think both for the effects of it, but also perhaps maybe in the way that we come under the effects of it, which is drinking. And the Bible uses drinking all the time as a, as a metaphor that Jesus talked about that well of springing water and I will give you something to drink that will, you know, change everything, right? It will, it will, it will, we get, we get drunk by drinking, we get filled with the Spirit in many ways by drinking too. When we abide in Christ and drink from the life that is in him, he gives us that image in Matthew, uh, Matthew John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, let me give you a metaphor, let me give you a picture of how the, our relationship should work, right? I'm the vine, right? Get that? I'm the vine, you're not. You're a branch, right? And whoever abides in me, like a branch abides in the vine, Right? He it is that will bear much fruit. The one doing that, the one abiding in me like a branch does in a vine, the one who doesn't, apart from me, is going to do nothing. Right? Nothing spiritual, nothing in terms of bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You can't bear the fruit of the Spirit apart from the Spirit, so you've got to be full of the Spirit to bear the fruit of the Spirit. To bear the fruit of the Spirit, you've got to be abiding in the one who fills us with his Spirit. Right? But you get the picture. Why does a branch die if you cut it off the vine? Because it's no longer able to drink from the vine. 
right? What is it? The life-giving, you know, water and the sap of life comes up. It's in the vine, and the branch draws it from the vine. And if you cut it off from the vine, it no longer drinks the sap of life, so to speak, from the vine, and it dies. And so it has to be connected. It has to abide as we need to abide in Christ and to draw near to Christ. We do that by, through the scripture, as we're doing in some senses right now, in corporate worship, in his word, in prayer, in worship. We use the means of grace to, to know him and to love him and to spend time with him and to let him speak into our lives and to manifest himself to us in real ways. Christ is a living Christ. He is life. Life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He meets us, and he speaks to us, and he convicts us, and he encourages us, and he strengthens us, and he renews us, and he speaks his love to us, and he just simply manifests himself to us so that we know him, and we know that we know him. And when we spend time with Jesus, we come away renewed. We come away filled, right? I don't know about you, and if you've never had it, then I suggest that you pursue learning what it looks like to spend time with Christ. To have a relationship with him where we are filled with joy and desire and passion and hunger and thirst and, and conviction and willingness and strength and all the things that, that the Bible speaks of as wonderful, beautiful, internal well of life that we know is that we don't have in ourselves. And we wonder where it is sometimes and the scripture is so clear. We drink life out of Christ when we spend time with him, I know that when I've spent time with Christ and I've met with him and I've been in his word and he's spoken into my life and I've been convicted again and repented again and, 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 and consecrated in a sense myself again today to walk with him and to please him and to honor him in my work and in my marriage. And I know when I've spent time with Jesus, I am a better man. It's just that easy, simple. When, I, when I've been with Christ, I'm a better husband. I am more patient. I am more loving. I am more selfless. Because left to my own devices, I am none of those things. But when we abide in Christ, the secret of the Christian life, of the Christian character, of, of the sacrifice and service and all that he says, the secret is Jesus and the fullness of his spirit. It's that simple. The life of Christ is in Christ and nowhere else. And we must abide in him to experience it. Enough time, enough space, enough genuine f fellowship to take place to be with him so that to be with him specifically about my marriage. Because I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good man. But I fail a lot. You've probably seen some of it. But I want to be, and so I want to be with Christ about it. Confessing and repenting of what I'm not. Asking for forgiveness, asking for the grace and the strength and the power to be different. And to walk away from him in full. How can we do marriage well? Right? How can it be that which gives off the aroma of Christ unless you personally and the two of you together are seeking and relying upon the grace, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit 
that he might be manifest in you and in your marriage. We can't do it. Let me just give you a couple of quick things as we wrap up to think about as we, I think there's a lot of application in there. Go spend time with Jesus and begin. There's a whole sermon there about organizing your life as if spending time with Jesus really were the most important thing in it. Because my friends, it is. I don't know however else to say it, however else, not as a matter of law, not as a matter of legalism, something you got to do. I'm just telling you, unless the branch is drinking out of the vine, it can do nothing. The most important thing in the Christian life, therefore, is for the the branch to be drinking from the vine. It's not a matter of law. It's a matter of his grace that he makes this well of life available to us. Do you understand then, I'll give you just a few things. The purpose of your marriage is the same as the rest of your Christian life. The purpose of your marriage is to honor Christ and bring glory to God. That's the whole point of your marriage. And if that governs it, if you do that, you do your marriage out of reverence for Christ, submitting to one another, and the purpose is to honor him and to glorify him in the way that we do this, in the way that we are marriage, then if that is in our hearts, when things are difficult or when we're fighting or when, we're, when things are hard, the driving desire in that moment isn't me and whatever it is I'm feeling or wanting or you know whatever indignancy I'm hanging on to, what is important in that moment is how do I honor Christ in it? And the way I respond to my wife and to this crisis and to what's going on in my own heart, how do I honor Christ in it? You both of you have bowed the knee to King Jesus. He is Lord of you both individually and you together. The goal is to follow him together, to live out and to apply all of Christian teaching and character and relation in our marriages and our homes We should recognize that whatever problem we have with our spouse, we have a bigger problem with God. And ask him, what does it look like in this moment to follow you and to please you and not myself? How do I submit myself to my spouse and to walk in love and to walk wisely and to understand what the Lord's will is right here, right now? And in that moment, not about your spouse it's about you and Jesus the center of your marriage and so you need to seek and to rely upon the grace and power of the Holy Spirit to live out that life we should recognize that we need him in that moment that when we seek the grace to love and to serve our spouse we are it's the same thing we are at the same time seeking the grace to love honor and obey Jesus that those are the same things that for me to seek the grace to love, honor, and obey him is the same as to seek the grace to be a good husband to my wife because that's what honors him. That's what pleases him. Second, if you're married, then your relationship with your spouse is ground zero for your whole Christian life. Somebody told me early on in my marriage, if it, brother, if it isn't working at home, it ain't working. And I remember just... What does that do for me? What it did for me was to start saying, I need to make it work at home. I need it to be at home what it is anywhere else. In fact, I need it to be at home first. I, I, that if it ain't working there, if it isn't working in the core covenantal relationship at the very center of my life and my soul, how is it working? 
if it doesn't work there? And what does this do for some of us? Because to make it work there is not easy. That's why I'm telling you, you need the grace and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit to change and internally transform us that we would willingly first submit to him and then to whatever it will take to love my wife and to bring peace and health and wholeness to my home. The enemy wants you to be weak at the center. The enemy wants your marriage to be spiritually hollow. And for many of us, we have let hollowness reign there. And for whatever reason, it is a spiritual battle, is it not? It's a spiritual warfare that how we could let the very center somehow be hollow spiritually and not the very central, vibrant place out of which it, it is manifest and flows. So finally, let me just say, what makes your marriage distinctly Christian, fullness of the Holy Spirit as a source of your spiritual life. That's what makes the difference. It is Christ and his spirit in you and in you together as you seek and rely upon the presence and the fullness of the spirit to help you both through it to pray and to seek him together, to go in when I'm in our separate corners, which we occasionally are. What are you doing in your corners? Not playing the tape about how mad I am at her, what she did and all the ways. I should be in my corner on my knees begging Jesus for the grace and the power to help me do whatever it is I need to do to humble myself and image Christ to her here in this moment. What does it look like to follow Jesus in that moment? It is the power of the Holy Spirit that unites us to Christ. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that brings home the truths of the gospel to our own lives. It is the power of the Spirit that brings the love of God to our own souls. It is the power of the Spirit that enables us to die to ourselves. It is the power of the Spirit that enables us to confess and repent and ask forgiveness. It is the power of the Spirit that enables us to forgive when we've been wronged and hurt. He's the one who enables us to overcome our fears and our anger and our lists of wrongs and to soften our hearts and to help us relentlessly move toward our spouse because Christ relentlessly moves toward us. It is the love of Christ experienced in the power of his spirit that enables us to be unselfish lovers and generous givers. For your marriage to be distinctly Christian, to have the aroma of Christ, Christ needs to be at the center of it and the presence and power of his spirit manifesting himself in you and in the way you do marriage. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love, that you have loved us as your own spouse and you have covenanted to relentlessly pursue us, that you have done all that is necessary to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness and to renew us by your grace and to make us acceptable in your sight, loved and beloved, cherished, nourished, nurtured, cared for. Oh, Lord Jesus, bring the life and the truth of this to the very center of our marriages that we would follow you there, 
honor you there, bring glory to you there as we rely upon your grace and your spirit here. Oh, Father, for us who have struggled in this, I pray, Father, that you would come near and speak grace and mercy. That you would speak life and health. That you would speak forgiveness and renewal. That you would give us this moment as the first moment of a new experience of your grace in this place. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.